0: Hi, I'm Mark Scarborough, and this is the podcast Walking with Dante, a podcast that indeed you know, slow walks through Dante's masterwork comedy. We are all the way to the middle of Canto 2 of Purgatorio at lines 43 through 51, just nine lines, finishing off the first episode in Canto 2. There's a prologue, two episodes, and then a postlude. So we're gonna finish up this whole episode. Angel's arrival here in this passage. It's my English translation of the medieval Florentine. You can find it on my website, markscarborough.com or walkingwithdante.com. Let's get started. The celestial helmsman stood at the stern. He was the type that had blessedness inscribed right on him, and more than a hundred souls were seated on board. In exitu Israel de Egypto, they sang in plain song chant, all together, but with one voice, with the rest of that song as their ongoing text. The angel made the sign of the cross over them, at which point they jumped out onto the beach, and he took off just as he had arrived. In other words, fast. I'd like to look, as always, at the infernal references inside this short little passage. There are several of them, and we should look at them because they're interesting twists on moments inside Inferno. Then I want to talk about a garbled line. And finally, I want to end with looking at the song that these souls are singing. So let's get started. There are several infernal, or references to inferno, infernal references in this passage. The first is, the celestial helmsman stood at the stern. That line has two in it. The word for helmsman is very reminiscent of the same word used for Karen at Inferno 398. So again, Karen was in the last passage. Karen's in this passage. It's hard to get rid of Karen. He's there, and then he's... Stands this celestial helmsman, at the stern da polpa. That's the same place Ulysses stands in his boat in Inferno 26, line 124. The references to Ulysses and Karen are just thick in this text. It's hard to get away from them, and I think it's really important to see them. A boundary keeper and a boundary overstepper to use terrible English, we're just being told over and over again that there are boundaries and there are people who overstep them, and then there are ways to overstep them that have some kind of divine sanction. Man, are we coming back to that? There's another reference to Karen in this passage, and that's right toward the end at line 50 the angel makes the sign of the cross over the souls after they have landed at the shore and then they jump out onto the beach and the verb used in the Florentine sigitar is so reminiscent of the verb used way back in Inferno 3 line 116 for the souls who throw themselves into Karen's boat and remember we talked about this how that they're Fears have been morphed into their desires, and they throw themselves into Karen's boat because it's like they can't wait to get to hell. Because at this point, what it is that they fear most has actually become what they desire most, their own damnation. Well, it's interesting that that verb gets reiterated here, and this time it's a reflexive verb. So, again, they're responsible for what they're trying to do here, and they're flinging themselves This time, not into a boat, but out of a boat and onto the shore. We have this notion in mirrored sequences of souls flinging themselves toward what they want. And these souls are flinging themselves toward purgatory. And as we will come to see, they are flinging themselves toward love. There's a garbled line in this text right up at the top. It says the celestial helmsman stood at the stern. He was the type that had blessedness inscribed right on him. And you should know that there are all kinds of problems with this line. I have chosen actually a reading that is not the Patrocchio reading, which is the standard text I use. I've chosen a alternate reading to translate this line. We could also translate it in more the Patrocchio fashion as he causes blessedness to be written on those who look on him. It's a question of where's the blessedness written? Is it written on the angel or when you look at him, do you get it written on you? This all has to do with some problems in the medieval Florentine. And I just want to stop here on this garbled line and say that we are approaching more and more lines in the poem that are garbled in the manuscript tradition. This may be a function of being in the redeemed part of the afterlife. We're getting closer to where people will want to correct Dante. And they'll want to say, oh, no, wait. You know, Dante couldn't have written that by looking at an angel, not at God. At an angel, you get blessedness written on you. No, you can only get blessedness written on you if you look on God. And so they corrected the text so that it is the blessedness is written on the Angel? It could be. I mean, it's hard to say, but I can tell you this is what I feel. As we approach more and more textual problems in Purgatorio and then Paradiso, we're getting close to pieces that get heterodox, and Dante's thinking gets very difficult in a very strictly orthodox context, and it may be that people are wanting to garble the lines or slightly rewrite them to pull Dante back from the brink. This garbling may not occur so much in Inferno because A, Inferno is Easier? I know that seems ridiculous, right? I mean, Inferno is hard, but Inferno is easier. That is, the plot is easier to understand. And the theology is not getting quite so close to the truth. I like to think of Inferno as across the Tiber, not even yet in Vatican Square. Purgatorio is getting more in Vatican Square, and then, of course, St. Peter's wasn't built the way it is now in Dante's day. But still, nonetheless, still nonetheless, Paradiso is moving into St. Peter's. I mean, I like to think that it's moving closer and closer to the seat of Roman Catholicism. So as we, <laughs> it's ridiculous, but as we get closer. Maybe manuscript scribes are going to get more and more nervous with Dante's heterodox statements. This is totally off the subject, but since the first of the year, I have spent (laughs) time reading every single word that Kafka ever wrote, including all his incomplete stories, his letters, his diaries. What's really interesting is there's a new edition of Kafka's Diaries out because the literary executor for Kafka's estate, Expurgated his diaries and removed certain things that this literary executor thought would be offensive to the general public and also ways that Kafka himself uh, didn't say complimentary things about the man who became his literary executor. All that was taken out in the first publication, and now in the revision, it's been put back in. You see, somebody's trying to clean Kafka up to take out, well, just to be blunt, some of the homoerotic passages in his diaries, uh, all the visits to brothels, they're kind of cleaning that up and cleaning Kafka's reputation up. Now we're more comfortable with it, so we're okay. Okay with Kafka being kind of a strange amalgam of desires. Well, in the same way, we might be more okay with Dante being a little more heterodox than, let's say, your run-of-the-mill 14th century scribe. These souls arrive in a boat and they are singing a psalm. It is important for us to know exactly what psalm they are singing. In the current Bible, as we now have the Bible, this psalm they're singing is split in two. It is now Psalm 114 and 115. In Dante's day, in the Vulgate, It is just Psalm 113, and they're apparently singing the whole thing. And I want to go over this with you. I'm going to read it to you. I'm going to talk about it as I read it. Uh, This is the New Revised Standard Version of the Bible. It is very clear in the text that they sing the whole thing, which would mean mm, they would sing the Vulgate, Psalm 113, or in modern Bibles, Psalm 114 and 115 together. Let's just start through the psalm. When Israel went out from Egypt, which is that first line in Latin that I read you, and it jumps out. It's in Latin in Purgatorio, and we hear it. Wow, Latin. Listen to that. When Israel went out from Egypt, the house of Jacob from a people of strange language, Judah became God's sanctuary, Israel his dominion. Okay, let's stop right there. What it's talking about is the Exodus in which the Israelites come up out of Egypt cross the red sea or the sea of reeds you know the whole charlton heston ten commandments thing Pharaoh's army is destroyed and then in this psalm the whole giving of the law at mount sinai and the wandering in the wilderness for 40 years that's all just dropped it's as if they come out of egypt and they go right to the promised land that seems really important because a this is easter sunday morning and B, Passover is directly related to Easter. After all, Jesus' Last Supper, the so-called Last Supper with his disciples, is a Passover Seder. That's what they're doing. They're breaking matzah. And he's talking about himself as the center of the Seder. But it is nonetheless a Seder. We celebrate Passover in my house. My husband is Jewish. We just came through a Seder at our house. We rehearse this story of coming up out of Egypt. That's what's being done here. You notice that the souls are crossing over the sea with an angel. You notice the crossing of the waters metaphor that's going on here. You notice how that's picked up. Just think about how the Exodus story is so crucial to the redemption story. And think about why Dante would put that here, because Passover is connected to Easter because it's all part of coming up out of Egypt into a new life, into the promised land, into, here we come, Mount Purgatory. Think about all of this and why this would be seated here. And this will become even more important to you when you know more about what the geography of Purgatory is. But we'll save that and just say that it's important for us to see the Exodus experience. Reading on in the psalm, The sea looked and fled. There's your parting of the Red Sea. Jordan turned back. Okay, so we've skipped over Mount Sinai and the wandering in the wilderness. And now this is the parting of the Jordan River (laughs) from Joshua. So basically, we skipped, I don't know, 40,000 words of Torah. And we went straight from the parting of the Red Sea to the parting of the Jordan. But uh, so the Psalm goes. The Jordan turned back. The mountains skip like rams and the hills like lambs. I mean, the whole world, the cosmos is alive. The mountains are skipping and dancing around out of this moment of redemption. Remember what we just had? We just had the cosmos alive with Aurora's cheeks turning orange. Well, in this psalm, Creation is alive. Oh, so intriguing that Dante would pick this psalm. There's other reasons it's intriguing too, but we'll get to it. Let me read on in the psalm. Why is it, O sea, that you flee back? O Jordan, that you turn back? O mountains, that you skip like rams? O hills, like lambs? Tremble, O earth, at the presence of the Lord, at the presence of the God of Jacob, who turns the rock into a pool of water and flint into a spring of water. More water imagery. Why are the hills dancing around? Well, because God is present. And how do we know God is present? Because God brings water. It's not just that you pass through water, but this is a reference to Moses striking the rock and it bringing forth water in the desert. Water is, of course, a source of life. So not only is it the method of your deliverance, but it is the very method of your survival in a desert climate. Moving on in the psalm. Not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name give glory for the sake of your steadfast love and your faithfulness. Why should the nation say, where is their God? So now we've had a turn in modern Bibles. We're into the next Psalm. But if we just saw this as one text and they sing the whole thing. So, we've had this turn from creation leaping around to all the other nations who look on the nation of Israel and say, Hey, where is this God that you say makes the hills skip around? And here comes the answer Our God is in heaven, He does whatever He pleases. Their idols are silver and gold, the work of human hands. They have mouths, but do not speak, eyes, but do not see. They have ears, but do not hear, noses, but do not smell. They have hands, but do not feel, feet, but do not walk. They make no sound in their throats. Those who make them are like them. So are all who trust in them. Here's the deal the pagans all say, Where's your God? I don't see it. And the answer is, our God is transcendent. Your God looks like you. Your God has eyes and ears and mouths and you make images of your God. Our God is so transcendent that God is not part of this image construct. And this is going to play big into Dante because Dante's notion of God is super transcendent we will not see god until the very last of the last canto of paradiso dante borders <laughs> this is too much to say but dante borders up on being a deist His God is very remote. Now, the difference between a deist and Dante is that finally this God is seeable and knowable. He hasn't been locked out of the universe, or she hasn't been locked out of the universe. Instead, this God can be reached, but is so remote, so far away. Dante's conception is of kind of ultimate transcendence. Just like this psalm going on in it. Oh, Israel, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. O house of Aaron, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. You who fear the Lord, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. It's kind of repeated. You can tell it's a song to be sung in a liturgy in the temple because it's got these repeated lines to it. The Lord has been mindful of us. He will bless us. He will bless the house of Israel, bless the house of Aaron. He will bless those who fear the Lord, both great and small. And then it makes a slight turn. Watch this turn. May the Lord give you—so suddenly it's me, the reader. So this is like the congregation. May the Lord give you increase, both you and your children. You can also imagine the congregation and the leader singing back and forth to each other. And now the leader sings, may the Lord give you increase, both you and your children. May you be blessed by the Lord who made heaven and earth. And then here comes the really fascinating part. Remember, they sing all of it. The heavens are the Lord's heavens. The earth belongs to human beings. So fascinating. We are on Mount Purgatory. Where is Mount Purgatory? It's on Earth. In fact, Dante will be subjected to all the earthly terrestrial things that you are. To breathing. He's breathing air. This is the Earth. He's breathing our air. (laughs) Yeah, I breathed in hell. But, you know, here, he's going to huff and puff. The climb is going to be hard. He's going to get hot. He's going to get cold. The sun is going to come up. The sun is going to come down. This is a fully human place. Look at what the psalm says. The heavens are the Lord's heavens, but the earth belongs to human beings. Purgatory is earth. No wonder it is the most human part of the poem. The damned in hell, the thing is they're inhuman or they've been inhumanized. Now we come to people who are trying to become more human. The dead, and this is going on in the psalm where it gets crazy, The dead do not praise the Lord, nor do any that go down into shale, the grave, the pit, the darkness, the silence. The dead do not praise the Lord. Now, wait a minute. These getting out of this boat are dead. The angel's letting them off. They're dead. They're praising God. They're singing this psalm. What do you mean? The dead do not praise the Lord. Oh, let's come back to that. But we will bless the Lord from this time on and forevermore. Praise the Lord. Okay, let's go back to that. The dead do not praise the Lord. This seems to posit with Dante's text here that there are two ways of being dead. You can be dead, dead like the damned, or you can be dead dead and trying to become something else like these souls. In other words, the dead who have gone down to Sheol, the grave, the pit, the underworld, those are all those people we pass: Francesca, and Ulysses, and Gwyneth Feltrò, and Judas, and Cassius, and uh, the whole bit, and Brutus. Those are all the dead. And they don't praise the Lord, to use this psalm's terms, because there must be different ways of being dead dead. Wow. That is quite a statement. When you feel dead inside, I know this is kind of funky, but just give it to me. When you feel dead inside, there are different ways to feel dead inside. You can feel dead inside as in a dead end and nothing good will ever happen. Or you can feel dead inside and still, my gosh, pant, exhaust yourself, try your best to get out of it, to climb to get somewhere. Two different ways to be dead in this text because even though the psalm says the dead who go down to Sheol don't praise the Lord, these souls getting out of this boat in Christian theology are definitely praising the Lord. Let me say one other thing about this psalm that is used here. It is actually a very significant psalm in the Middle Ages Musically, they're singing plain song chant in one voice. Think Gregorian chant. The musicologists have talked a lot about what it is that they're singing here. Well, they have talked about Dante, but they talked a lot about this Vulgate Psalm hymn, Psalm one thirteen, because it is the Psalm that is always sung in the Middle Ages on the tonus. Peregrinus, the tonal pilgrimage, or to put it in modern terms, the wandering tonality. Let me explain this for a minute. This psalm is sung traditionally in chant on a completely different tonal system, a wandering or pilgrimage tonality. Oh, man, is this going to pay off. Pilgrimage tonality. What that means is that when the first voice enters and sings part of the line in, think Gregorian chant, in this chanting voice, when the voice or the response or the antiphon comes back in... It is actually lower, sometimes a step lower interval. Musical intervals aren't necessarily the same thing in the Middle Ages. But let's say a step lower than the initial voice. The peregrinus tonus, the the wandering tonality, always ends on a fifth down from the initial tone. So it is a wandering tone where the pitch goes up up and down and wanders around and then starts a little lower again and finally ends very low this is really important for us because what's happening here is the pitch is wandering and psalm in the vulgate psalm 113 we would now say psalms 114 and 115 are always sung on this wandering tonality often during Linton festivals, that they arrive singing a pilgrimage tonality psalm. The only psalm we know that is always sung on the pilgrimage tone or the wandering tone seems more significant <laughs> than we can even say at this point. But We're going to have to wait for the full whammy of that until the next episode of this podcast. Okay, that's our podcast on the first episode in Canto 2 with the arrival of the angel and his boat full of souls. We're about then to move to our second incident or sequence in the second Canto. But before we do that, let me take a minute and go all the way back to line 13 and read the entire first incident with the angel from Canto 2. And behold, right there, in the midst of the morning, like Mars glowing red through the fog and suspended low above the sea's western edge, there appeared to me, and I hope I'll see it again, a light that was coming so fast across the sea so that nothing can compare to its flight. I turned my eyes away for just a moment to ask a question of my guide Virgil, but then I saw it again, seemingly brighter and bigger than before. Then on either side of it, there appeared something that seemed so white. I really had no idea what, and then something even whiter just below it. My master still didn't utter a word, but when that first whiteness appeared to be wings, he then recognized the boatman, and he cried out to me, Do it! Do it! Get down on your knees! Behold the angel of God! Fold your hands from now on out. You're going to see officials of this ilk. See how he disdains all human devices, so much so that he won't use oars or sails, nothing else except his wings, even though the shores are so far apart. See how he stretches his wings straight up to heaven, beating the air with those eternal feathers that won't ever molt, as mortal plumage does. Then, as the heavenly bird came closer and closer, its radiance got so much brighter that my eyes couldn't take it up close. So I looked down. And he came up to the shore with a ship so fast and light that its keel drew no water at all. The celestial helmsman stood at the stern. He was the type that had blessedness inscribed right on him. And more than a hundred souls were seated on board. In Exitu Israel de Egypto, they sang in plain song chant, all together with one voice with the rest of that psalm as their ongoing text. The angel made the sign of the cross over them, at which point they jumped out onto the beach, and he took off as he derived, in other words, fast. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the podcast, Walker and Dante. I hope that you will subscribe, rate, do all those things you have to do. I could really use some ratings. Make sure you're subscribed. How can you want to miss Purgatorio? We got very religious in this episode. I tried to pull it back. We're talking about depression, but we spent a lot of time talking about a psalm. Don't be afraid. It's okay that we're delving this far into theology. We kind of have to. To understand what's going on in the text, I will constantly be trying to pull it back into our modern lives, but you do have to realize that I can only go so far. And the poem is going to stop me from making, (laughs) I don't know, it's going to stop me from making some grand Freudian psychoanalytic help out of it. It's going to have a barrier on it, and we hit the barrier in this episode. We'll continue on with the next segment of Canto 2 in the next episode. Can't wait to be there. It gets weirder from here and gets out to another song, which is quite different than a psalm. I'm Mark Scarborough. I'll see you then.